I want to speak to you tonight about making the most of your life. You know, life is not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot at it. You don't get to do it over. There's no delete button for your past life. You have one chance, and you want to make the most of it. And first of all, you need to realize that life is very, very brief. A college student asked Billy Graham, Dr. Graham, is there anything about life that surprises you? He said, yes, how fast it gets by. And you'll be amazed at how fast your life gets by. And I'm here to tell you that your life is somewhat like a roll of paper towels. And if the days of your life are like that paper towels, you don't know how many towels you have left. (laughs) And I'm here to also tell you that the older you get, the faster that roll goes by. And so life, nobody knows how long their life will be. You know, I love to read the biographies of great men. And one of the things I've noticed through the years, some of God's greatest servants never lived to be 30. David Brainerd, who had such a phenomenal impact among the American Indians, wanted to go out when he had had a great offer for a church with a secure future. And the doctors told him, if you go out among those Indians, he had TB, you will die. And he said, yeah, but who's going to tell him about Jesus? Sometimes he'd ride his horse. He literally got off during the snow and got out on his, on his knees and would pray for hours. And, and when he would spit, there'd be blood on the snow. He died when he was 29. But he lived to see a great, a great work of God among those Indians. Jim Elliott was murdered by the Alka Indians when he was 29 years of age. And many of you remember the famous statement by him. And we used to give that at Oklahoma University, frame that for every senior that graduated from our ministry. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You cannot keep your life, but you can give it away. And Jesus made a promise, not a threat, but a promise. If you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you will lose your life for Him and the Gospel, you will save it. David Brainerd, Jim Elliott, Robert Mary McShane, one of the great preachers, died when he was 29. Bill Barden of Yale inherited the Barden fortune and right after college decided to give his entire fortune away. Gave it away, wanted to go work among the Muslims, went to Egypt to study the language. And there died in his 20s. You do not know how long your life will be. Some of you will not live to a ripe old age. So whatever you're going to do, you better get after it. And right now is the time to do that. One thing is certain. Regardless of how how long your life is, it's very short compared to eternity. You know, there was an old preacher that kept trying to think, how can I illustrate how long eternity is? And he kept trying to think how he could illustrate that. And one day he came up with this illustration. He said, you know, if you could take a steel ball the size of the earth and put it out in space, 
and you take a little sparrow from the earth, and let's say it took him a thousand years to fly out to that steel ball. And when he gets out there, he barely brushes the beak of his, his beak against that steel ball, and then he starts his thousand year flight back to earth. He has a good night's rest, and the next day he starts his thousand year flight back to that steel ball. He barely brushes his beak against that steel ball and starts his thousand-year flight back to earth. By the time that sparrow had worn that steel ball down to the size of a grain of sand, eternity would only be beginning. And what we ought to do and what's the best thing you can do and make that decision while you're here at this conference, you are going to live for eternity. You know, another way we could illustrate that. If I could go right out one of these doors, I could just start, if I had a black marker and I could start drawing across the screen and go right out this door and go all around the world and come back in and join that line and then give you that marker and say, you go put one little dot on that line and that's what your life is like compared to eternity. Now, if you want to, you can go around the world as many times as you want to. But your little life would still be represented by a little dot. And so we're here for a very, very brief period of time. And God has said some things to us in the Scriptures to warn us and to let us know. James 4.14, James says, Whereas what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Now, while you're here in Colorado... And some of you are from cold countries. Some of you may not be. But on some cold morning, you walk outside and just blow your breath on the air and stand there and watch it. Now that's what the Bible says your life is like. It is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Psalms 90 verse 12. The psalmist prays, Oh Lord, so teach us to number our days, to count our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know that your time is brief. Psalms 39, 11, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days that I may know how fleeting my life is. Now again and again, you see in the Scriptures the warning that your life on this earth is brief. And do you know that your reward for all eternity, that long eternity I've been talking about, your reward for eternity will depend on what you do after you've come to know Jesus Christ. Now there may be some of you here tonight, you've never made the wonderful discovery of knowing Jesus Christ personally. And I want to say to you, you are going, if you live your life, you're going to be just like a ship in a desert. That may be a beautiful ship, but it will never, never perform the function for which it was created in the desert. The ship was made for the seas. You were made for God. And God wants to inhabit your life and give you meaning and purpose. The greatest thing you could do is come to yield your life to Jesus Christ. I just turned 71 the other day. I tell you, I wouldn't trade places for anybody in the world. The greatest life there is, is knowing Jesus Christ. It's more exciting every day I live. I can hardly stand it. And I know someday, probably before many of you, I'm going to see Jesus. 
And don't you ever doubt it. When you hear Max Barnett's going, you just rejoice. Because that's where I am. No doubt about it. Not because of who I am, but because one day I traded my sin for His righteousness. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ will do for you if you'll trust Him. And then once you've done that, you set your life while you're on this brief earth to let's get this gospel to everyone we possibly can. A couple of nights, days ago, I was on an airplane. And I asked God, and one of the things you ought to pray every day you live, God give me opportunity to share the gospel. And so I get on this plane. This young guy comes up and he, and he sits over by the window and this is a small plane and there are just two seats on this side. And so he has long hair, has tattoos all over him and he's got his earphones on and I think, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to talk to him or not. But I know one thing, I'm going to try. So he sits down and he speaks to me. And I think that's the opening. So I began to talk to him. And over a period of time, I start, as I often do, and something that I think will be a great help to you in witnessing, you start by asking general questions. Where are you from? And he was, happened to be from another state. And, and he told me about his work and what he did. And he's going to college some. And then I asked him, I said, by the way, I moved from a general question to a general religious question. And I said to him, Well, have you, are you a part of any church or any synagogue or any religious organization? And he said, No. He said, No, I don't, I don't have, I don't have any religion at all. I don't go to church or anything. And so I began to talk with him. And I began to move from a general religious question to a specifically religious question. I said, have you ever made the wonderful discovery of knowing Jesus Christ personally? He said, no, I don't know anything about religion. I said, well, let me share with you. And I began to talk with him. And I pulled out a little sick bag there. You know, they put that on there for... They don't know why they put it on there, but I know why there's one in that seat. And so I drew out the little... A little bridge illustration. We had a tremendous talk. He said, you know what? He said, the last three months I've really been thinking, what would happen if I die? He said, about three months ago I thought I I had a very near-death experience. And he said, I've been worried about what would happen. He said, I don't know what would happen. And so I shared with him about Jesus. And he said, do you have to be in a church to be a Christian? And I said, no, you don't have to be in church to, to be a Christian. You don't have, and I said, you can become a Christian right on the airplane. He said, you mean right here? And I said, yeah, would you like to do that? Right here we could pray and Jesus Christ could come into your life. He said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so we prayed and he accepted the Lord. I said, you know, I don't think it's any accident I was sitting in this seat and you're there. He said, oh, no. No, I know it wasn't either. He said, I know why you're here today. And we had a tremendous conversation. I got his number and we, and he said, he followed us through the airport and he said, now let's keep in touch. And so we're planning to do that. I tried to call him last night. Wasn't able to get him, but I'll keep on. Now, I tell you what, life doesn't get any better than that. And I'm going to try to follow up with him and he's all excited. I tell you, 
he said, my cousin's picking me up tonight. And I said, you ought to tell him what happened to him. He said, I'm going to. I'm going to. And so, it's wonderful just to be able to share the Lord. Now, let me just remind you. If you are going, if your life is going to really count for God, you need to become very time conscious. And speaking of great leaders, John Maxwell, who's written many books on leadership, was talking about executives and he made this statement. I have never known a great leader who was not time conscious. I can remember when God began to work in my life when I was at college. And I began to sense, you know, at the time when I was about 18 years of age, I thought, you know, for every, day, every one day I live, I may have three or maybe four to go. And you sit here tonight, for every one day you've lived, maybe you have three to go. You may not have another year to go. We don't know. But even if you live a long life, you've got a very brief time to do what you really, God has put you here to do. And so don't let time get away. To waste time is to waste life. Your life is just made up of so much time. And so to make the most of life, you've got to make the most of your time. You must value every moment God gives you. Now you're young, but God has some very special instructions for the young. If you look at Ecclesiastes 12.1, it says, Remember your Creator. In the days of your youth, when the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when you say, I have no pleasure in them. And I've talked to many adults who said, you know, when I was in college, I just went to parties, I played, and now it's a later time in life, and they look back on their youth, and they realize it was wasted. And some of those people said, I could give, I'd give anything if I could go back to my days in college. And really began to build the things in my life. And now I'm trying to do that and it's later in life. And I have more responsibilities and it's harder to do. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. But know thou this, for these things God will bring you into judgment. And someday you will stand and give account of your time. You know, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul writing to Timothy We don't know how old Timothy was, but he calls him a young man. And he says, let no one look down on you because you're young. And you know, it's so easy. A lot of people look at young people and say, oh yeah, they'll party, they'll do this. But maybe one of these days they'll wake up. The Bible tells you, don't you ever let anyone look down on you because you're young. But be an example. We often think of older people being examples, but the Scriptures say you're to be an example. Be an example. And you're to be an example in love, in faith, in charity, in spirit, in faith. All of these things, you're to be an example. And don't let anyone look down on you, but you be an example while you're young. Lamentation 3.27 said, It is good that a man bear the yoke in his youth. Get in the yoke with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come unto me. And he said, take my yoke upon you, for my my burden is light. And so his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Get in the yoke. And the Bible said it is good that you bear the yoke in your youth. Get in the yoke with Jesus Christ. Now, while you're young, 
is a time to get serious about your relationship with God. You have opportunities now that if you take advantage of them will benefit you for the rest of your life. Now let me give you some practical suggestions. Get to know your God. And if you're going to get to know your God, you're going to go through some lonely times. There are going to be some times when other people are out doing other things and you need to be spending some time with the Lord. I will never forget an experience I had in college. I just grew up in high school going to the movie every Saturday night. When I came to college, that's what I always did. One Saturday night, I was walking across the campus going to the theater. And I stopped under a tree and I could see the marquee at the theater. Now, it was, wasn't a bad movie. There's not one thing wrong with the movie. But I stood there on that tree and I looked at that, that marquee and I thought, you know, I really haven't had the time I need with the Lord this week. It would probably be better if I went back to my dorm and just got my Bible and spent the evening with the Lord. And I stood there for quite a while and that was a real struggle for me. And I finally decided I'd go back to my room. I went back, got my Bible and had time with the Lord. I wouldn't take, two hours later, I wouldn't have taken anything in the world for the fact of having missed a movie to spend some time with the Lord. I also noticed that a lot of the guys were out dating on Saturday night. Now, I was at an all-men's school, Texas A&M at the time, and I remember one day we were going to class and a girl drove through the campus and one of the students said, There goes a girl! (laughs) Just like he'd seen a pink elephant or something. But I know sometimes those students would come in and as soon as they got out of class on Friday, they'd throw their books aside, grab their clothes, and they'd head out. I was 500 miles away from home. I didn't have money. I didn't have a car. Many of the guys in my dorm, I mean, my dorm was kind of like a tomb on a weekend. But I decided, God, they'll go make a date with a girl, and that's not what I need to be doing right now. And by the way, let me just say this. For some of you freshmen, one of the worst places you can be when you're a freshman, for most of you, is in love. Right now, you need to get down to business with the Lord, begin to walk with God. Let me tell you, marriage is not for immature people. And you need to get your walk with God established. And girls, when a guy says to you, will you marry me? He's basically saying, will you go with me in life? You have every right to say, oh, I don't know if I will or not. Where are you going? (laughs) And so, it's a time to get down to business with the Lord. And so I remember sometimes I would be busy during the week and I'd try to get some time with the Lord and I'd say, Lord, Friday night, I know a lot of the guys are Saturday night, they'll be going out. I'm going to make a date with you. I want to spend from 7 to 10 with you on Saturday night. And I'd get my Bible and get in a room and I'd read for a while and I'd walk around and I'd pray and I'd go over verses. I tell you what, I wouldn't take anything in the world for some of those times. Get to know your God. It's a great time. And you know, you read the lives of Jeremiah and the great saints of God and they went through some lonely times. You are not going to get to know God always hanging out with your friends. Now, you need fellowship and you need time, but you also need to get the time alone to know the Lord. Now, getting to know God, God loves you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to have fellowship with Him. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And the thing God most wants with you is your fellowship. And as you get to know Him, He wants to use you. Now, a lot of people in our day, we've uh, there's a lot of talk about grace. There's a great deal of talk about the freedom we have in Christ. And we really like to talk about that. And I am very much for grace and the freedom we have in Christ. But we don't like to talk about something that I'm fixing to bring up. There's a word that most of us don't like and it's called discipline. You are not going to get to know God well without some discipline. That means that you have to make some choices in life. There are times when you are going to need to make some hard choices. Now, nearly any time in our day, especially as it relates to the Christian life, you mention discipline, people immediately think of legalism. Now, let me tell you, there's a vast difference between discipline and legalism. Legalism is trying to earn your favor with God. Well, let me clue you into something. If you're a Christian, you already have favor with God because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. So you already have favor with God. But you discipline yourself. And discipline, basically, the dictionary says discipline is, is basically bringing yourself under control. It's training, especially training of the mind and character. And discipline is to bring our minds and our bodies under the control of God. 1 Timothy 4.7 says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, many of you may have known of Jerry Bridges. If you've not read his little book, The Pursuit of Holiness, it's absolutely excellent. If you'll read his book, The Great Exchange, it's just been out about a year. It's one of the greatest books I've ever picked up, just to let you understand the Christian life and what you have in Jesus Christ. But I want to read something to you that Jerry wrote in his book. He said, I struggled for a number of years with the question, what am I to do myself and what am I to rely on God to do? Have you ever had that question? See, we'd like for God to do it, but then what are we to do? And he said, I struggled with, for years with that question. What am I to do myself and what is God to do? He said, only as I came to see what the Bible teaches about that question, and then faced up to my own responsibility, did I see any progress in the pursuit of holiness. Now he says, a farmer plows his field, plants a seed, he fertilizes it, and he cultivates it. All the while, he knows he cannot make the seed germinate, he cannot provide the rain, he cannot provide the The son, he knows that even as he does these other things, he is dependent on God to bring the growth. Yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibility to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. In a real sense, he is in partnership with God. And he will reap the benefits only when he has fulfilled his own responsibility. Just as farming is a, is a joint venture between God and the farmer, so 
Our pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. God will not do what He has asked us to do. He has given us the responsibility of doing the walking, and He will not do that for us. So, we have to learn something about discipline. You know, tonight as I speak, Oklahoma University is playing football. For a number of years, for about five years, in the 70s, I worked very closely with the football team. We had Bible studies with them. I am absolutely amazed at what those fellows go through. And at best, how many games can you play a year if you go all the way to the national championship? What is it? 13? 12? How many? 13. Is that right? You can play 13 games a year. Now, you don't play both ways. You either play offense or defense. So let's cut that 13 down. If they play every single down, every single play, they play, they're on the field for six and a half hours when it really counts. And that even counts the time walking back to the huddle. (laughs) And yet I see the discipline those guys go through. About three years ago, a young guy came to me. He was a big guy and well built, and he said, you know, I played linebacker in high school. I think I'll be a walk-on to the OU football team. I said, okay, let's go talk to Smokey Hurst. Smokey was one of the guys involved in our ministry, and I said, let's go visit with Smokey. So I go over, and we visit with Smokey, and Smokey says, uh, would you like to be on the group that lifts, wheat, that lifts weights at 5.30 in the morning? Or you want to be in the group that lifts weights at 6 o'clock in the morning? I've never seen that guy since. <laughs> I literally haven't. He, he decided he didn't want to walk on. And I see the tremendous discipline that you see among athletes and others for a crown that will quickly fade. If someone said to you, who won the national championship in 1973? Well... Probably not a one of you knows. But they will give their lives, basically, work all kinds of hours for something that's fading. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a, at a Christian college, a retreat. And I spoke about memorizing verses. I said, some of you can memorize three verses a week. You've got good minds. You could do that. Do well in school. It'll actually help you in school. And so, one of the boys I heard say... One of the students asked, well, he said, uh, he's talking about memorizing three verses a week. I thought it ought to be as the Spirit led. And I thought, I'm going to have some fun tonight. (laughs) So I passed out little cards and I said, write the reference to every verse you can quote. Now, if you can quote John 3.16, just write John 3.16. Now, don't write the verse, just the reference, and then put your initials on it. Because I may call... If you put A, B on your card, I may say, A, B, will you stand and quote John 3.16? I just thought that would lend to honesty. <laughs> you know what the average group was for the group? Now, this is a Christian college. Several of them had already decided they were going to be missionaries. You know what the average was? Now, somebody had memorized 1 Corinthians 13, and somebody had Psalms 23. So we threw those, we're throwing those two out. You know what the average group was? Three. Three. I thought, isn't that amazing way the Spirit of God's led? (laughs) 
I don't think that had anything to do with the Spirit of God. I think it had to do with the laziness of some Christian students. You will not walk with God. You will not be what God wants you to be unless you begin to discipline yourself. Now, when you come to the Scriptures, let me make a suggestion. Some people come to the Bible and during their time with the Lord, they'll maybe read a chapter and then they close the Bible and pray. No wonder our devotional lives are so dead. You know, George Mueller discovered this after a number of years. He, decided, he said, I used to try to pray, and I'd just read my Bible, and then I'd pray. And he said, I, when he prayed, he had experienced great wanderings of mind. You know what that's about. You ever tried that? Start praying and great wanderings of mind? And he said, then one day he began to read, and as he'd read, he'd pray over the Scriptures. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.11 and Romans 15.4, both of those verses tell me that these things were written down for our learning. So when I'm reading through the Scriptures, and one day I'm reading, and I come across the fact that David and, and Saul are coming back from battle, the women come out and they're singing this little tune. Saul has killed his thousands. And David has killed his 10,000. Now, what was Saul's reaction to that little tune? He didn't like it a bit, did he? He was very jealous. Now, why is that written down? So I'll know a little bit more about the kings of Israel? No, the Bible says that's written down for my learning. And so I pray over that. And I think, God, someday I'll be in the position Saul's in. There will be young guys that will come along and do a better job than I've done, just like David did a better job than Saul. Now, God, I don't want to be like Saul. I want to help those guys. I want to pray for them. I want to help them every way I can to be the men of God they ought to be. And if it's better than I was, praise God. Now, when you begin to read the Bible like that, let me tell you, the Bible will come alive to you. And I'm reading along and I see things in the Bible and things to pray for for myself and for others. And so, I want to recommend to you, get to know your God. Now, you will not do that apart from this book. Spending time in the Word. Now, in getting to know God, let me make a suggestion. Every day... Try to have a devotional time. Call it whatever you want to. I call it my quiet time. I do two things. I read the Bible and pray. Now, I try to never let a day of my life go by that I don't have a quiet time. Now, it's not because God's going to zap me if I miss. That's not the idea at all. But I want to develop the habit of spending time in His Word. And if God has something to say to me today from His Word, I don't want to miss it. Now, I try to do that first thing in the morning. There may be sometimes, and there have been, but that's, that's really not possible. So I think, when is the first time in the day that I can choose what I want to do? And then I try to have my quiet time. There have been times when I've come in, and it's maybe I started early that morning, and it's late at night. There have been times that I've come in, and it's one o'clock. And Satan says to me, boy, you are really tired, aren't you? And I am really tired. And you're not going to get anything out of this. 
And the only reason you'd be doing it is just so you could check a little box. And you know what I've learned? Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. And I think, no, what better way to end the day than to spend some time with my Lord? And I'm going to do it. And there have been times I've been very tired. But I'll open the Bible and I think maybe I'll spend a few minutes. And maybe I begin to have a great time with the Lord. And it may turn into 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And when I go to bed, I go with great peace and thank God I wouldn't have wanted to miss that time with you for anything. Now let me challenge you at this point. Remember, it's not legalism. You're not doing it because God will zap you if you don't. You're doing it because you love your Lord. You want to spend time with Him. He has invited you to spend time with Him. And you're going to make it a discipline. And you know, I know people that if they don't get their quiet time established in the first thing in the morning, many of them will struggle with it all their life. The one thing I found in college, sometime I'd have a class. Then I'd have an hour off and I'd think as soon as this class is over, I'm going to go straight to my room and get my Bible and spend some time with the Lord. You, I just want to challenge you. Get to know your God. The Bible says, they that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. And the Bible, in Daniel 10, 12, Psalms 33, 11, other places where God has promised that He is going to reveal Himself to every generation. And God's going to reveal Himself to those that really know Him. So make a decision that you're going to get to know your God. That means that there are times I come in, here's a magazine, here's a newspaper. I really would like to read the sports page. But I think, you know, this morning, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. And so I want to challenge you. Get that established while you're in college. Another thing I want to challenge you to do is to memorize Scripture. Now, by the way, David Englehart, I want you to help me with that seminar. Okay? Because here's a guy that memorizes verses. That's off record. Okay? Let's get on with it. I want to demonstrate something. One of you guys have a, a second hand on your watch or a stopwatch or something. Okay, now what I want you to do, we're going to see how many seconds this takes. And so, you tell me when to start, watch the sec- see how many seconds it takes, and I'm going to tell you when to stop. So I'm ready any time. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, stop. Ten seconds. Now, I quoted to you the reference, the verse, and a reference, and I'm through in ten seconds. And I didn't say it in tongues. For God's a little, you know, I said it in a normal tone of voice. (laughs) I'm through in ten seconds. I'm down in New Zealand one day, and this missionary hands me his verse pack. Little cards. And he said, Max, there are 50 verses in this pack. I'll quote all 50 of them to you. I'll be through in 10 minutes. You can time me if you want to. And not only that, I'll give you a devotional on two of them. (laughs) He said, you can time me if you want to. And so I did. Nine minutes and 53 seconds later, he had quoted me 50 verses and had given me two devotionals. (laughs) 
I had a dear friend who went to be with the Lord some time ago, Gene Moore, one of the greatest laymen I've ever known. Charlie Riggs traveled with the Billy Graham team, said he's the greatest layman I've ever met anywhere in the world. He told me one time he reviewed 30 verses every morning while he was shaving with an electric razor. He's a layman. He gets through 900 verses a month. Now, let me just say this to you. Begin now to get the Word of God in your heart. You know, if you could come up here tonight and lay a million dollars right here and say, Max, you can have that. If we just had the ability to blot out of your mind just the verses that you memorized while you were in college, I promise you, I would not touch it. And when you memorize a verse, like I have my verse pack with me, I try not to ever be clothed and in my right mind that I don't have my verse pack. I try try not to ever be without it. And I can use time that you waste. And just walking to and from classes another time. Now, don't go around with your verses out like this, you know, like your spiritual Joe. But you write them on little cards. And when I I come across a verse, it means something to me, I memorize it. And then once I can quote it word perfectly... Word perfectly. I try to go over it another 35 times that day. My last semester in college, I averaged taking 20 hours a semester. I had a lab four afternoons a week. I was BSU president. I had plenty to do. And I memorized a verse a day and reviewed 74 every single day for eight months. Now, I don't suggest you take it that fast, but you get a verse. And if you did one a week, at the end of a year, you have 52. At the end of 10 years, you have 520. If you get older in life, like my friend John Crawford, and he says, well, if you just did one a month, you'd have 12 a year. But if you take off two months for Christmas, you'd still have 10 a year. <laughs> but start memorizing verses. Get them in your heart so the Holy Spirit can use them. Bring them to your mind. Anytime he wants to. When I was in college, I memorized Psalm 50:15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. One day I'm in seminary. My evangelism professor asked me if I'll drive with him to another city. He'll speak on Sunday morning. We'll get all that time together. And then he'll speak Sunday morning. He'll fly on to the Southern Baptist Convention. I'll speak Sunday night and drive his car back to seminary on Monday. I told him I would do that. I was excited about getting that time with him. And I go to class, I guess, the next week, and one of the students said, Max, we're looking forward to your speaking in Wichita Falls, Texas, on Saturday night at this youth rally. And I said, no, that's Friday night. He said, no, it's Saturday night. I said, no, I have that down Friday night. I'm going to be in Louisiana Saturday. He said, Max, it's Saturday night. I'm on the committee that invited you. I know it's Saturday night. And I thought, oh Lord, what am I going to do? I don't see how I can get out of this with a good testimony. And he said, well, Max, which one of these did you take first? I said, Wichita Falls. He said, that's where I think you ought to be. And I said, I'll be there. And I thought, i got to go tell my professor, and I don't think he's going to like it. And immediately, a verse popped into my mind. I don't know how long it's been since I thought of that verse. Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. And I thought, Lord... This is a day of trouble. I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've made a mistake. 
And so I go see my professor and I said, sir, I can't go with you to Louisiana. I said, he said, well, why? I said, well, and I told him what had happened. And he started laughing and he laughed and he laughed. He said, you know, Max, I am worn out. I am so tired. And I was talking to that pastor this week and he said, what in the world are you doing driving here? We will fly you here. Go get you, call and get your airline ticket. He said, I've been trying to think all week I could tell you, I don't want you to go with me. (laughs) And let me promise you this, when you begin to memorize verses, you will be amazed how oftentimes God will use those in your life. And I wouldn't take anything for yesterday, being on that plane, not having a Bible before me, to be able to share from the Word of God with that young man. Get the Word of God in your heart. Now, you're young. Now's the time. It's easier now than it will ever be. And I'll promise you another thing. If you will begin to consistently, every day you live, work on verses, you're going to find you're going to do better in college. I found that I could remember things easier. I've talked to students through the years. Most of the students have started memorizing verses. And Max, this is the truth. My grades have improved. Because it's easier now for me to pick up something. Just the fact that I discipline myself every day to work on memory. So, I want to challenge you. Memorize verses. Now, I've talked with you about being time conscious. Getting to know the Lord. You're going to do that primarily. There's no better way than spending time with the Lord. Getting time in His Word. Now, in addition to that. Read great Christian books. I'm amazed at people that just read fiction. Out on the table, there's some terrific books. One of the best investments you'll ever make is in a book. And I'm amazed that students will go to a concert or they'll go to a movie and then here's a book that would be a tremendous benefit to their life, but they won't spend 10 or $15 on a book. Read great biographies. I don't know anything that will challenge you more than to read of the lives of men and women who've walked with God. Now, I know you're, everything I read about you, you're a visual generation, but I want to tell you something. You're not going to live long enough for every great truth to be put in a visual form. And, and you're not going to live long enough to wait for it to come out on a DVD. And if you're not a reader, you will not be a leader. There's not time enough in life for you to learn everything by experience. And you can learn great lessons by reading. Let me suggest another thing. Hear great messages. I can remember a college student that here was someone like the Navigators and they were concentrating in man-to-man and that's something as Southern Baptists we knew absolutely nothing about. And I'd drive... I'd hear somebody speaking and maybe it's 150 miles over and I have to be at work the next day and I'd drive over to hear him. Well, let me tell you, you don't have to do that today. You And you ought to write this down. Discipleshiplibrary.com You can go to that website and I was talking to Brad Ray back here the other day and there are already over 15,101 messages the last time I talked to him about it. And they're, they're free. They're online. You can download them. And when you walk out the door tonight, you're going to be given a, 
a little deal that's already got about 30 messages on it. Some of the best I know of for college students that you can listen to on your computer. And so, hear great messages. Learn. Be involved with your Christian fellowship. And I went on to explain to that young guy when he had questions about church. I said, you know what church is? It's really not a building. It's where, like when you come to know the Lord and I know the Lord, we get together and we fellowship and we pray together and we learn. And we learn our responsibilities to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's one of the things we want to do. Now, I want to recommend to you too that while you're in college, go overseas one summer at least. Plan on it. Now out here, there are people from the, will be here from the International Mission Board from Focus. Go overseas and try to help people come to know Jesus Christ that was just like Stan was that never heard about Jesus. It's your responsibility to help take them the gospel. Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without someone to share the message? It's our responsibility to get this message to the ends of the earth. There are people all around the world who need to hear the gospel. I see some college students standing in line to get some meaningless job when they could go someplace in the world to a group of people who've never heard about Jesus. Just before I left, we read emails from Rachel and Sean in India. And they'd gone, when they were in college, they went to Cambodia. They got to, to Phnom Penh. There were two Christians there. And a year later, they had 40. And so God began to deal with her. And now they're in India. And I tell you, it was thrilling to read her email how they'd gone to this village. They led someone to the Lord. And then they say, will you go to the village and tell, help me tell the people. And she said it was so interesting to go to the village. People had never heard about Jesus. And see how eager they were as they'd crowd around and they'd tell them about God. And you can do that. Go on a mission trip. Get involved in trying to share the gospel with people that have not had the opportunities you have. And I want to challenge you. Walk every day with the Lord. You know, someone asked Leroy Imes one time. Leroy, and Leroy wrote more books probably on discipleship than anyone I know. And he went to be with the Lord not long ago. And someone asked Leroy, Leroy, how can you be sure you're walking with the Lord ten years from now? He said, walk with God today. And the guy said, uh, I had these guys I was trying to train and we got this lunch with Leroy and I was looking for something profound. And that's all he would say. Walk with God today. And after a while he explained himself. He said, you walk with God today. That's all you have to do. When tomorrow gets here, it'll be today. Walk with God today. (laughs) And that's right. And so that's what I set out to do every day of my life. I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God today. When tomorrow gets here, I want to walk with God. You know, I think your generation has one of the greatest possibilities ever. There's technology 
like we've never seen before. You don't have to drive 150 miles to hear a message. You can hear some of the best messages that have ever been delivered by just going to your computer. There are all kinds of help for you. There are tremendous leaders that have helped to bring you here. Now let me say this to you. Become a disciple maker, and I'll close with this. That's your responsibility. I am amazed at people that have heard message after message on the Great Commission, but I think very few, very few times has it ever been preached what it literally says. And Jesus said, you are to go to all the nations. Now, 50 years ago, we thought Africa was a nation. Because we looked at the world like a pancake. We thought you could, you know, you pour syrup on a pancake and it'll spread all over. We thought you could take a good missionary and send him to Africa and it'll spread all over Africa. You know, there's a real problem with that. The earth is not like a pancake, it's like a waffle. <laughs> and you pour syrup on a waffle and it's got to crawl over this barrier to fall down in the next pit. And the nations are people groups. Now Jesus told, one day, He told 11 disciples to go to all the nations. Every people group in the world. There are a lot of people groups on your campus. You know the athletes are a people group. Fraternities are a people group. Internationals are a people group. People in a dorm are people. There are all kinds of people groups. And there are all kinds of people groups around the world. Now, he told 11 men to go to every people group. How in the world are 11 men going to do that? They're not unless they multiply. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he went on to say, you baptize them and then you teach them. What? You teach them to observe all things I commanded you. Now, what did you just finish commanding them? Disciple the nations. So you teach them all that I've commanded you. There are a lot of other things He commanded, but He had just finished commanding them to disciple the nations. So when a person becomes a convert, we need to start immediately helping him become a disciple maker. That's what I tried to do with that young man on the plane. Now that you know Jesus, you need to tell somebody. You need to grow. You need to help other people. He said, my mother, I'm concerned about my mother. She's not a Christian. I said, then you tell her. He said, I will. Now, we need to start immediately helping people the moment they become a Christian to say, you are to become a disciple maker. You know, I know a man told me one day he went in the barber shop to get his hair cut. Started talking with his barber, a lady. Over a period of time, he led her to the Lord. And then he, she was divorced. She had a nine-year-old daughter. He and his wife had a nine-year-old daughter. So one day he goes in to get his hair cut and he said, you know, there's a good Walt Disney movie. We're going to take our daughter. Could we come by and pick up your daughter? She said, oh, I'd love that. She said, you know, I'm divorced. I have to work a lot. I don't get to spend the time my daughter I'd like. So they take a little daughter to the movie. The little girl becomes friends. They share what's happened in their family and she becomes a Christian. One day he goes in to get his hair cut and the lady says, you know, my sister's coming in from Chicago And I'd like to spend a week with her, but I have to work. And he said, well, I'll call my wife. And he called, and they decided to have him over for dinner. So sitting around the table, they share the good news and what's happened to all of them. And the sister becomes a Christian. 
The last time I talked with that man as a result of that lady barber becoming a Christian, 17 people have accepted the Lord. You see, every time a person becomes a Christian, it opens up a whole new world for evangelism. Because he has a mother, father, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, and aunts. People he knows at work. People he grew up with. And so you start moving through that person to try to reach others. And so we are to become disciple makers. Now, it doesn't make any difference if you're a layman or if you're in full-time ministry or whatever you do. That's your responsibility. Give your life to learning to be a disciple maker. Now, look for someone who can disciple you personally. You know, when I was in college, I never had anyone to disciple me. But I think there's a difference between discipling and mentoring. Because I didn't have anyone that could meet with me week after week and disciple me. I looked around for people that had something to offer that I could learn from. And here was a guy in the dorm, and I knew he knew more about the Lord than I did in a way, and so I got some time with him. Here was another guy. He was very disciplined. I wasn't, so I tried to learn from him. And you can learn from many, many people around you. Don't sit around and moan the rest of your life if you don't have somebody to disciple you. Take initiative for your own life and go get it. Some of the best disciple makers I've never known in life did not have somebody that met with them every week for several years. Who discipled Dawson Trotman? He got it from other people. One day he wanted to get some time with Charles Fuller, a great evangelist. So he calls his office and says, Can I get an appointment with Dr. Fuller? His secretary said, Oh no, he's very busy. And Thursday he's flying out of the country. And he said, Now, talk to me about his schedule. Well, he's got this appointment, that appointment, and he's got a dental appointment at, at 3 o'clock this afternoon. He said, Who's taking him to the dentist? She said, well, I don't guess anybody. Yeah, put me down. I'm taking him to the dentist. (laughs) Let me tell you, you can get time with people who will help you if you really want it. And go to your leaders. Some of them would love. And maybe they don't know everything about it. And I'd say if you have a student that's your own age and you'd like to learn how to disciple and you want to try to disciple them, if you go to them and say, I want to disciple you. They may look at you like, who do you think you are? I'm the same age you are. So why don't you just go to them and say, hey, I'd like to grow as a Christian to be what Jesus wants me to be. And I kind of sense it. I think you want that too, don't you? Yeah, well, could we get together and just spend some time together each week? Just an hour and we'll read the Bible together and we'll pray. And you can help me. I want to memorize verses and I want you to check me to see if I do it right. And you can begin, every one of you, you can begin to help someone to grow. And look for someone that can disciple you and look for people all around you that can help you. Now, here may be someone and he's got his act together financially. Maybe he doesn't memorize verses. Maybe he doesn't have a quiet time. But he's got his act together in that area and I can learn from him so I can go ask him some questions. And so you can learn from many, many people. All of your life, the word disciple comes from the root word of learner. Be a learner. Walk with God. Become all God wants you to be. Now let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to know You. I thank You, Father, that You have brought all of these students and other leaders and people here tonight. And Father, we're going to get to spend these days together and I pray we'd be 
very eager to learn. We would learn things. We would begin to apply what we hear. And God, that we would go away from this conference and be better equipped for the great task of making disciples. And Lord, through it all, the thing we so desire is to know You and to love You. And Father, You have done so much for us. And we just want to give our lives to loving You and being the children You want us to be. And Father, thank You that our eternity is secure. Once we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we know that God, in Your justice, You could not wink at sin. And You poured all of Your wrath for all of our sins out on Jesus Christ. And Father, we know because You poured out that wrath on Jesus Christ, now we are righteous because He took our sins. He became sin for us that we might become righteous before You. And Father, we never doubt because You poured out some such great wrath on Your own Son, whom You love so dearly, that You will pour out Your wrath on every person who does not come to accept what Jesus Christ did. And they'll spend eternity in hell. Lord, would You use this group of people here mightily to see people come to know You who will love You and walk with You for the rest of their lives. Because we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.